0: This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our pre-tournament coverage of the 2021 U.S. Open with a conversation about the top five contenders for the men's singles crown in New York. Of course, the biggest storyline in tennis, one of the biggest storylines in sports in general is Novak Djokovic's pursuit of the calendar slam. He won the first three major titles of the year by winning in New York, he would be the first man since Rod Laver to accomplish that feat. Of course, he would also win the 21st major title of his career, eclipsing both Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal for the all-time lead on the men's side, but challenging Novak Djokovic will be a couple of players clearly entering the primes of their careers at the top of that charge Alex Zverev, who won the Olympic gold medal won the crown at the Western and Southern Open he is playing some of the best tennis of his career you have a guy in Daniil Medvedev 2019 US Open finalist four-time Masters 1000 champion on hard courts now certainly he looked dominant In his run in Canada, those two guys at the top of the list. You've also got Stefano Tsitsipas, your French Open finalist as well. Berrettini, Rublev, so many others looking to thwart Djokovic in his pursuit of history. Joining me on today's uh, podcast to discuss the top five men's singles contenders, the guys with the best chance to knock off Novak Djokovic, is a returning champion here on our show. uh, Fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network podcaster, you know his work. Work from Monday Match Analysis from 3A Tennis Show. Of course, I know him. as my eyebrowed nemesis, Gil Gross, who joins me today to run through those lists. We also talk a little bit of American tennis at the top. We talk about his coverage. He's on Tennis Channel this week working Winston-Salem, Cleveland, and Chicago as well. So we talk about those two things at the top before getting into our top five men singles contenders. This is a fantastic conversation. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy, of course, if you've missed any of our other preview podcasts. David Kane joined me to talk men's singles, dark horses. Jeff Sackman joined me to talk top five women's singles contenders. We've got David Gertler coming on to talk American women. Chris Otto to talk American men. Tumani Carriel to talk women's dark horses. We'll do draw previews. We're going to break it all down here at Crack Rackets to ensure all of you enjoy the year's final Grand Slam to the fullest extent possible. Of course, if you've missed any of that content, you can find it all on the website, Crack CrackedRackets.com. Of course, I also have to remind all of you that these podcasts are made possible day in, day out because of the support we get from all of you, the support we get from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Turn to Tennis before it's too late. Join that Turna tennis team. It's the best grip in the business. The only grip that gets tackier when you sweat is performance in hot and humid conditions unmatched. You can t- contact them by emailing sales at uniquesports.com or calling 800-554-3707. You mentioned we here at Cracked Rackets sent you. the hook you up with discounted pricing, hook you up with free samples, treat you like family. Again, sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With all that said, let's get to our conversation, breaking down the top five contenders for the men's singles crown in New York with Monday Match Analysis's Gil Gross. Joining us on the podcast once again today, I'll say it, a returning champion of all returning champions here on our Cracked Racket shows. You know him as the host of 3333, a tennis show. You know him as the host of Monday Match Analysis, a fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network, Podcast E, and of course the voice of this week's coverage of Winston-Salem and Cleveland on the Tennis Channel. You've also seen some Chicago thrown into the mix. Of course, I am referring to my friend Gil- Gross Gil. Hey, great shot. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, Groski, I'm great. Good to see you. I think you look very well rested. You know, I can see that you've been (laughs) in your own bed. The skin is glowing a little bit extra, and uh, it's good to see you in in the state. By the way, how about a little love for the land? Yeah. (laughs) You you meant you bring up Chicago and Winston-Salem, and no love for the land
0: did I forget to say the land? Honestly, that's what I meant to say first. I think I said Chicago twice. I have a shirt that says tennis in the land, which is of course the slogan of this week's event. I should be wearing it right now. The problem is you want to know why my skin's glowing. It's because I am fresh off the exercise bike here at Crack Rackets headquarters At of course sneaking in as much time as I can on there while we are home. Um, so, you know, it's not a natural shine is what I'm trying to say, but, uh, (laughs) uh, or I guess it's, (laughs) Truly a natural shine. It's the epitome of me right now. Um, But no, of course, I'm tennis in the land. How could I have forgotten? And I have to say, I want to start today's conversation before we get into our top five contenders for the men's singles crown at the US Open with your coverage this week, obviously. I don't know if I'm more jealous or proud to hear your voice each and every morning <laughs> as I hear uh, the tennis kicking off on Tennis Channel. Certainly, it's been exciting to get to see you do that. Uh, talk about it. What have you seen thus far? Your favorite matches to date. Did you get to do Clara Burrell yesterday? Because, oh my God, I mean, her, Tossin, Lee, uh, uh, Radicanu, I mean, Claire Liu, this is like the second tier of next gen women who are just on the horizon going to be in the top 50. And they're all exceptional. Like if you catch Clara Burrell on the right day, you're going to think that's the future of women's tennis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She's impressive. I didn't do the match, but um, I, I have been following her and I, I mean, she she's the total package in, in every single way.
0: You got to see uh, Kaya, right? Kaya yeah. Yuvan? No, you didn't oh, get oh, Ka- oh, 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 yes,
1: yes. I thought you were talking about
0: Kanepi. Oh. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> yes, That's the OG Kaya. That's fair. Yeah. That's
1: fair. <laughs> I did get to see Kaya Um, uh, She's super entertaining, and I think people are going to really appreciate her game. A, a bit of a throwback. Like, if if she sees a short ball, she'll hit an approach shot. Like She's not staying back. Really goes after her forehand with a lot of vigor. Um, and she's got a great serve for her height only about five foot six but really serves well for
0: her height we talked about her (laughs) a little this is off the record but a little bit into our insight when we're on the phone what are we talking about you go Alex tell me about Kaya Yuvan because you have to have a Kaya Yuvan take and I go Gil do I have a (laughs) Kaya Yuvan take um it's it's ben Chichi. It's just C ball, hit ball, big. She strikes the ball so purely. Now, she was a better mover in that Kasakina match than I had anticipated. And it helps. Kasakina doesn't hit the biggest ball, but Kasakina does so well at targeting the outer thirds. And she's a really fun yeah. outlier in the mix of 40 top 20 players right now in the women's game. And just that said, Yvonne's another 21-year-old who just like, that's not old. Like I know it, you know, Coco Gauff is kind of upset the standard because it's 17 years old you can legitimately consider her in the top 10 mix but there are so many of these players this week and I, the best part about the week before the slam tournaments is that so frequently you do get to see those you know, 18 to 23 year olds ranked 50 to 125 in the world compete. So, again, I, I asked you who stood out, and then I said, But didn't Kaya Yuvon stand out? I'm going to actually let you answer the question now, whether it's that or I know Winston Salem, I feel like starts a little bit after you, but curious, uh, yeah, the matches you've been locked in on or the players. Did you see Linda Fruvertova? Oh, uh, 16. Chance? Fruvertova. Uh, so, curious what you think, because uh, 16 years old, I know there's still obviously a lot to develop in her game. what do you think? Initial impressions.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very impressed with her power that, that she has at 16. Like I thought playing, um, playing against, why is it the name escaping me now? um, um I thought she was going to look physically overpowered. Cause Lynette's a really good athlete, you know, pretty, pretty good size and and moves well and has a good amount of power. And she just, Kind of looked right there, and one of those one of those players who are completely even from both wings. Uh, and she's she's tough. She has a good attitude, and it's kind of that big three uh, when you look at a sixteen-year-old. Like, did you hit the genetic lottery of being <laughs> way ahead of physical development? Prover Tova, yes. Still are gross, you just? No. Uh, that's correct. <laughs> are you just weirdly mature for your age and just kind of, you know. You know, the cocoa golf, like you're very, you very much act like a 25 year old and you're 16. And then the third thing is, is your technique polished like a pro or does your technique still look like a junior? And Fruvertova checks all three boxes. And um, her little sister I hear is really good as well. Brenda Fruvertova. So those are two names that I think we'll be hearing a lot over the next decade.
0: Mm-hmm. no absolutely you look for Fro Vertova who's already up to number 355 in the world at 16 years old you look for her uh in terms of the junior ranking she's the number 6 junior in the world and again she has so much time until uh we at, can or should expect anything of her in terms of serious pro tennis results but that she's already had some her run in Charleston earlier in the season i believe she made quarterfinals there yeah those are the runs you take notice of, and you're absolutely right. Those are all similar check boxes that Coco Golf checked off now she happened to have the big run at Wimbledon so early uh, in her career as well, and Fruvertova hasn't had that yet, but Thrower on the list? Like, it's just another name to throw on the list of impressive players and so many of them competing. Again, Cleveland, Chicago, Winston-Salem. I do want to get your thoughts before we get into it on Winston-Salem quickly. The big win last night from Francis Tiafoe over Andy Murray. The thing that stood out to me for Francis Tiafoe this season, he's played 21 events. Only six first-round losses. Now, I know that's not, you know, put it in the bank. This guy's a top 10 player in the world. But that's the consistency of a top 50 player. And I know we've seen Francis Tiafo eclipse the top 30 that came off of the back of a big run in Australia, plus the Delray Beach title, all in a one year span. But this consistency from Tiafo of week in, week out, just getting one win and then quarterfinals at the occasional Masters or fourth round at a Grand Slam because the three out of five set format clearly does benefit the physicality of Francis Tiafoe. I think this top 50 version of Francis Tiafo is just so significantly a better player than the version of him that eclipsed the top 50 earlier in his career. Where do you stand right now on Francis Tiafo's game, the progressions he's made this season?
1: 100% he's caught my eye. I've noticed that he has been really good at the beginning of tournaments as well. Mm-hmm. He's had this kind of third-round block a little bit where, uh, you know, I mean, Wimbledon comes to mind. I actually thought that he was going to um, beat Karen Hatchinov, I believe mm-hmm. it was, uh, and he got he got killed. No shame in losing, but he—, he really uh was not competitive in that match it's happened a couple times where i've been like oh wow Tiafo's playing awesome he's on a run but it's way more positive than negative the fact that he is mm-hmm. putting together victories week in and week out i really do think that wayne ferreira belongs in the conversation for coach of the year um and it's a great i know take. that's
0: <laughs> i'm so you. sad i didn't have that's a great take
1: <laughs> i think with coaches it's weird because it's like which coaches get the publicity and and which don't, and, and that can kind of jade our opinions on coaches. But, yeah, it's like uh,
0: Sven Grunfeld's really good on Twitter, so people are always going to think he's a good coach. I'm not saying he's not, but he's also very good on Twitter.
1: Yes, I agree with you. And and Ferreira, uh, you know, has gotten some some attention in the beginning, especially in Australia, which helps him. But in all honesty, what he said he was going to do with, with Tiafo, he has done, which is I'm going to get this guy to focus better, point in, point out to never go away to always be present uh, and channel his Jensen Brooksby presence and I think he's done that and that's been that's been all he's really needed because at the end of the day he's always been so talented he's always had enough tools you know there are there are funky technique things that happen with him but he the talent the hand skills they make up for it and uh I, I think he's at a what do you think he's I think he's certainly at a top 30 level
0: yeah you look for Francis tiafo right now overall elo rating Francis tiafo currently sits at number 48 you look for him 2021 specific results here in in the elo ratings Francis tiafo currently sitting let's see at number 32 like you look at his ranking right now Francis yeah. tiafo is currently at number let's see here come on now. Uh, 51 in the live rankings. You look for him in the race to the year end finals. Tiafo currently at number 45, top 50, like the margins between 50 and 30, very, very thin. Uh, that's the range for me right now. Is he a top 30 guy who should be seated at every slam? He's not quite there, but he's on the track to be there. If he continues to progress at the rate he has, if he does this again, next season, Now you're a top 30 player. Now you're seeded at slams. Now the draws get a little bit easier, those pathways to round of 16s at Masters events or fourth rounds at slams. Everything just becomes a little bit easier for him then. And I think he's earned that progression. Like you look at it for him, the first serve uh, win percentage is up. The break percentage is up. The forehand's just not as big of a liability as it once was. And, you know, you even look at the first round losses for him this season – they haven't been bad. Like, I was at that six and five match, Brooksby versus Tiafo. That was really good tennis. That was a top 50 high level match. I think both guys, you know, playing at a top 50 level. Uh, you look for him, Eastbourne, he loses to Liam Brody, but that's fine. That was after two weeks consecutively. He wins the Nottingham Challenger quarterfinals, Queen's Club. He's played really good tennis here. In the back half of this season, he's capitalizing on a strong first half of the year. He's capitalizing on that round of 16 run in Miami. I think Francis Tiafo has taken a step up. I think he's absolutely back in the conversation when you talk about the Americans right now with the highest upside moving into the 2020s. I mean, Corda obviously, is the leader on that list. But Opelka, Tiafo, Nakashima, Brooksby... It's disrespectful not to put uh, Taylor Fritz on that list because he has been the most consistent of the group thus far. And it just feels like, you know, again, volleying, fitness, those are two very improvable things. Those are six guys who should be top 50 for the majority of the decade. We're going to do a whole American men's tennis pod, but I just wanted to sneak that thought at you before we transition here. Where are you at on American men's tennis entering the Open?
1: There are tiers to it, you know, mm-hmm. and I think Tiafo might be, depending on how many tiers you want to make, um, there's probably a tier or two above him. Again, depending on how many tiers you're you're talking about. You can but, see um, the
0: smile on my face. Listeners know we love tears here yes, on the Great Chat yeah. Podcast. So let's make tears. here. This is
1: why, Grusky, this is why I like coming on, because your listeners, like, care about Fruvertova. you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's the thing about your listeners, and like, that's...
0: You know, and that's why we love them, because they'll be like, oh, you think this is the first time we've heard a five minute rant on Fruver Tova? Where were you May 6th, 2021 <laughs> mini break when Gruskin did 12 minutes on her because he was trying to fill a day's pod? And <laughs> just Yeah, I agree with you. They're, I appreciate you saying that. I hope they appreciate you saying that as well. That's why we enjoy having you, because you take us on the tangents. But let's make tears like I have yeah, no problem sure. doing that. So. Okay. Do we want to say the top tier is Grand Slam champion? We're going to do that. You can leave it empty if you want. But if the top's tier in this 2020s decade, on the men's side, do they have a player capable of winning a Grand Slam title? To me, it comes down to two guys I would put in that tier maybe. Uh, it's Opelka and it's Korda. And I'd have to think about it, and I'd give it a hard thought, and ultimately, I would not do it. I would leave the tier empty for now. I think Korda can absolutely enter that tier I think Riley's winning the t- Wimbledon by 2026. That's a take that's locked in stone here on the Great Shot Podcast. So I guess by virtue of that, actually, yes, I would put both of them at the very, very – it's like tier one and a half. Tier one and a half where they can win one. I don't see it being multiple slams. I guess that's it. So yeah, tier I'm, one I'm and, of, Yeah, go for it.
1: I'm, I'm kind of with you. on both of them. I, I think Korda and, and Opelka, I, I agree that if we're talking about sealing an upside – they are above the rest. I agree with that.
0: So then we'll put them tier one and a half. That's fine. Tier one, there's no Zverev. There's no Tsitsipas. There's no Medvedev. There's no Sinner. There's no like that guy's winning at least one slam. And the key is at least one. It's, right. you know, if they, it, one is a failure. Like two, yeah. now we're talking. I don't think there's any of that yet in American. You agree. Opelka, Corda, nope. they can do it. Let's get to tier two. Guys who for the majority of their career I I say top 15, top 20 guys. You know, worrying about them being seeded at slams is never going to be an issue. On the right year, they're going to flirt with a year-end finals. On the wrong year, you know, there'll be a 20 seed, 25 seed. I would put Brooksby in that category. I think he's earned it. I would just, again, death by high percentage tennis. I think it's going to translate across surfaces. That guy just knows. It's not insulting when I say he knows how to compete. We've talked about this before on your show. Um... Monday Match Analysis, find it on – you You are already watching it on YouTube. Come on. Um, because you want to hear about three, three, three. I would say him, Fritz, because the weapons, the serve, the forehand. Oh, it's, it's all so wonderful. Uh, I, just from a, an ast- – he knows how to play tennis. It, it's like him and Brooksby are – polar opposites at the same thing (laughs) it's like fritz is the ultimate conventional brooksby is the ultimate unconventional but boy do those guys know how to compete i would put francis in there i would put brandon in there i can't put tommy in there anymore i can't put the spider man in there there's a lot of ben shelton love right now a lot of ben shelton love i'm not ready to put him there I think those are our six. Like, those are the yeah. six guys. That's that's probably the end of my tier two.
1: Do you do you want to include Mackie in the conversation?
0: I mean, even if we did, I don't think top 30. I think 30 to 50 is his range. I don't see it top yeah, five. I Just agree. because of the clay, the clay court stuff will be an issue for him. I think in ways those other guys are young enough that I've seen enough flashes from them that I think they can alleviate it.
1: I agree with that. I, think, I do think that Nakashima and Brooksby— both have a higher ceiling than Fritz and Tiafa. Yeah. I just think I just think there's more room for, well, for them to, to grow a little I'm gonna bit. I
0: disagree on Tiafo. I apologize to push back because I've talked a lot here. Why I would push back is the degree of physicality, particularly at the big events when you're, you're test just physically by the nerves, by the stresses, in a way you're just not at your random 250. I think Brooksby and Nakashima are going to be better at 250s than Francis Tiafo will ever be. But at the Masters 1000s and at the Grand Slams, I'm not saying Brooksby and Nakashima can't get there physically, but Tiafo's there. And that factors into the upside, the ceiling for me, and that's why he's in that tier right alongside of them.
1: I just got to see Tiafo. I've noticed that too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think he's very physical. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm right there with you. But I do want to, like, see it really kind of in the flesh. I mean, we did have, the what, the quarterfinal run in mm-hmm. Australia a couple years back. I'd like to see it more than once to just kind of believe it. Uh, because obviously I've seen him come through a lot of marathons, a lot of five-setters. I've seen him keep up his explosive movements for long periods of time. But when it comes to just working through a draw and you know, really his fitness becoming an asset for him, I just haven't quite seen it enough for me to really give him that boost there. On the contrary, I just think Nakashima um, is more technical than Tiafo, and he's going to be more consistent uh, when it comes to just implementing a modern baseline game. I love the technique on his serve. I think it's going to get better. I think he's a really good volleyer. Uh, I think he's very quick around the court, just like Tiafo. But I just think the the technique is actually going to take him further. Uh, and then for, for Brooksby, I just think there's more of an it factor there. When it comes to the way he keeps the ball in the court, his rally tolerance, his toughness, uh, the way he uses angles and craft and drop shots, I think he's got enough Andy Murray in him, uh, as we've talked about before, I I truly think he's very, very unique, and I think both of their ceilings are, and they are behind Francis Tiafoe, and they still have some work to do, I think, but I think they're higher. And then fritz by the way we've talked about this before just to address fritz yeah um fritz is a guy who's not like any of them where i think his game is is super super polished all of his weapons are polished but is he going to get more athletic i don't know that god has gifted him with that um (laughs) to to be i mean this is how it is this is the reality right this is uh, the thing is, he has a, the
0: size, right? It's like, and you can't teach the size. He is six four, six five, and he's thin. Like, there's no doubt his legs are skinny. You can get stronger there. He's gotten better. He is. He went from being the worst volleyer on the planet, yeah, someone who's like not good at the net, but at least tries. And like, effort is half the battle as a volleyer. Just trying to be in the right place at the right time. There, because his weapons are so big. Because if you don't have a weapon that can push his athleticism, he's gonna beat you at least on the right surface. That matters. Like uh, his floor, yeah. I guess, is what I'm trying to say is is pretty high despite For the sure. athleticism, which is not. It, that's a little oxymoronical.
1: Yeah, no, but but I get it. And you know, I'm actually I'm complimenting Taylor right now. Yeah, because the things that he can really control, I think he's done so incredibly well. He's yep. built an amazing game. Uh, you know, you said it about the volleys, the serve, um, and, and obviously off both sides, extremely technical, and he's gotten his forehand bigger, and the backhand comes so natural. Um, so, yeah, he's really maximized what he has, but he'll never move as well as some of the others, including the small little micro footwork uh, things that are so important in tennis.
0: Yeah, all of those things are fair, and where I want to leave this conversation, there are 14 Americans right now in the top 100. That's really good. That is depth we haven't seen in American men's tennis in quite a bit of time. Now, we just spent all this time talking about the tiers. Is there a top guy right now along the likes of Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas? No, there's not. But there are a lot of good players who are going to have bites at the apple. And so my final question to you, and you are going to be on the call, U.S. Open Radio. Super excited for that, of course, as well. No one can paint a picture. Look at those eyebrows. Beautifully painted. If he can do that, imagine what he can do with his words. Um, yeah, I know. They did. Natu- I know. They're au naturel. All that is to say, 14 Americans. Kudla's playing really well. Mackie's playing really well. Stevie's really fit. Never count out Jack Sock. There's a lot of you know, wild cards, qualifiers potentially in the mix as well. Which American goes for – I know we haven't seen the draw yet. Which American in your mind goes furthest at the Open? Do we see any in week two?
1: I – this is – it's funny because I'm about to give you a take that's both the coldest I could give and the hottest. Okay. John Isner. Yeah, there, John Isner it is. there, the it is. there it is. John Isner the There it is
0: fair. It's, it's not a horrible take. I mean, uh, how can I argue with it? You look for Isner. He's had a good summer. I mean, obviously yeah. wins the John Isner open in Atlanta <laughs> semifinals in Canada was fine. I thought at the Western Southern open, if he serves well, he's in the mix and it's him and Ray Re- him Ranich it. Those are the three guys holding over 90% of the time. How can I argue with that? At the same time, Oh, man, how great would a Brooksby run in New York be? Just to see him in the round of 16, wouldn't that be so something? They would uh, – that would be something special. Yeah. But I'm not going to go him. I don't think uh, – I don't think it's Sebi – I think it's Francis. All this was to build up to the Francis take. I I think I'm ready (laughs) to give it. I think round of six, he just plays best in this format, in this event. And I've seen it from him. And I haven't seen it from the rest of the young guys. I'm going with the thing I've seen with my eyes.
1: Okay, I like it. Yeah, I think uh, whatever it is, what I've been saying is based on pure math and the law of probability, someone will make a run.
0: That's what I Which hasn't always been the case. Fourteen. Fourteen in the top one hundred. You've obviously been spending a lot of time on tennis abstract. You're playing the probabilities here. I love it. All of that said, let's get into today's exercise. Of course, I have you on the show here today to talk about our top five contenders entering the twenty twenty-one US Open Men's Singles competition. The biggest storyline in tennis, one of the biggest storylines in sports more generally, entering these next two weeks. Can Novak Djokovic capture the Calendar Slam, his fourth Grand Slam singles title of the year? We saw him struggle through the first half of Australia, then dominate Daniil Medvedev in the final there. We saw him peak against Rafa in the semis of the French Open, come back from two sets to love down to knock off Tsitsipas in France. We saw him beat everyone. In Wimbledon, simply put, he was the best player start to finish. Yes, it was four sets against Berrettini, but did anyone doubt he was going to end up winning the title? No, I don't think so. Now, since that moment, what has happened? We saw him lose a match to Alex Virov, where he was up a set and a break in the semifinals of the Olympics. Why is that notable? Because Virov has gone on a run since then. He wins the Western Southern Open. Where, you know, He has not lost a match since something seems to have clicked for Alex Virov. Of course, in between that, you had Daniil Medvedev dominating on his way to the title in Canada. You look for Medvedev's semifinals the next week in Cincinnati. Yes, he lost to Andre Rublev up a set, but let's be clear, ninth match, 11 days. I think we can write that one off as we've seen Daniil Medvedev be so good on hard courts over these last two, three years of play. Of course, you look beyond that. Guys like Rublev, guys like Berrettini, there's no denying. They are just more experienced, hardcourt players than they are on on grass courts, than they are on clay courts. Part of that is a byproduct of losing last season. Part of that is a byproduct. There are just more hardcourt matches on the schedule. So that's setting the scene for your 2021 U.S. Open at the top, of course, has a new hierarchy emerged. I know people are calling it the small four. I don't think that's fair. I would call it the key three. That would be the one I would go with because you're either going to call it a key three and go Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, or you're going to call it—it's not a fab five. got to figure out some alliteration, and it's good we have you on the show here, Gil, to do this. But I think if you're going to include Rublev, you have to include Berrettini in the mix as well because I know Rublev week in, week out has had more success But Berrettini's made a Grand Slam final at Wimbledon. He's made a semifinal at the U.S. Open. He's made a year-end finals. If you're going to include Rublev, you should be including Berrettini. That's why small four, that doesn't work for me. I'm fine with key three. I'm fine with something five. We can work on it. We're going to get to Novak Djokovic, but since it's brought up, let's start there, Gil. Where are you at in the new hierarchy that is emerging on the ATP Tour?
1: I agree with you that there's a and as we'll get into when we talk about the US Open I really do think there's a pretty big drop off between Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev and everyone else. So uh, I would agree with you that Rublev and Berrettini if you ask me who's going to win more slams I don't even want to get into it. The point is that's a good question. Yeah. So I agree. Like Rublev is not is not above Berrettini clearly by any stretch. So so um I agree with you there.
0: Are we in on key three? Can we call it that? You know, I don't think they deserve, like, this treatment, really. But they're the key three. They're not three, three, three. So you're the you're the authority. I had a roommate in college who used to say, <laughs> he always said, dude, I'm the authority on Insert X. I'm the authority. And then one time, he once asked me, what's the funniest thing I've ever said? And I said, you once said straight face, you're like, dude. I'm the authority on authorities and like he was dead serious and I was like I I, we lost I was like I can't believe you like you said it and you meant it and so the point being you're the authority on all things threes why are they the key three? Because they're gonna unlock whatever this generational change is. They're the ones who the grand slam door is locked, and they're the ones who keep fiddling with the key. And, you know, they're a little bit drunk coming in late at night, and Medvedev's like, let me try it, and it didn't work. And Zverev was like, I'm two points away, let me try it, and it didn't work. And then Tsitsipas is like, I'm two sets to love up, let me try it, and it didn't quite work. But they're the ones at the door who are knocking. That's why they're the key three to me. Absolutely.
1: However, key strong. In, in two years, you don't know if the key three is going to really include like Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner, right? So for that reason, I don't, I would caution against just like grouping those three and for sure they will be continuously in the mix. But we could be like, no, there's clearly a key five and that could be as soon as like next year or the year after. So we should not make a threesome at this
0: time. So where I'm going to push back, because that's a very good point. And honestly, if you're calling it a small four, the case to be made is that Sinner's the fourth, that it's not Rublev or Berrettini, that it's Sinner, maybe FAA. That's obviously a me-centric take, you know that. But that would be a bold thing to say. I would just call Sinner, Alcaraz, maybe FAA, the usurpers. Like they're the ones who are coming for the key three. And it's like, you guys are the ones who are going to open the door, but if you're not careful, you are going to be usurped by these guys who are right on your tails. Like, that's you sound the like way Vince
1: McMahon. You sound I, like Vince McMahon creating these storylines.
0: When they give us the Netflix series, we will be the super producers. Yes, that will be one of the arcs. That's like okay. episode six through eight. That's like when, you know how, because that's when they really get you in. That's when we bring in the usurper storyline and people lock into the show. But that's the way I see it is, it is Because they're two different generations those are the three year-end finals winners grand slam finalists top five players like those are the three guys that's why and and we, we agree on this so i suppose we don't have to linger any longer but i view them as a separate group than sinner and alcarez who are a little bit younger and again they'll usurp what is the normal order and that's when we'll see the chaos happen because normally it's gone generation shift generation shift and then it's not going to be that. We're going to have this generation that has finally broken through and then sinners are going to be like, wait, you guys – no, no. You thought – no. It's my time. Like just so you know. And <laughs> yeah. so that you that's where i Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But – I guess, you know, any final thoughts on that hierarchy emerging? It does feel like coming in, there's a pretty solid group of like, all right, here's my final stat for you. Updated top 10, top 15, top 20, top 25 clubs from our friends over at Tennis Abstract. Because I think when you hear these names, we do have an established hierarchy. Top 10 club, guys who are top 10 in both hold and break percentage. It's Medvedev. It's Djokovic. Makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Top 15 beyond that. Rublev, Nadal, Zverev. Top 20, Kasparud, Aslan, Karatsev. Now, Karatsev is in there because he had a really good challenger fall last year. Obviously, the incredible start to the season as well. A little bit noisy. That's the one name you draw a question mark next to. But the top 25, that includes Tsitsipas and team. So the group of nine guys I just said there Medvedev, Djokovic, Rublev, Nadal, Zverev, Rude, Tsitsipas, Team and Karatsev. Now if you swap Karatsev in for Berrettini, who break percentage wise is going to be lower because of his backhand return. Those are the nine guys that matter. And I do think Rude, by the way belongs in that conversation back-to-back quarterfinals at the Masters 1000s. When the numbers say it and the eye tests say it, like that's the group. That's the hierarchy.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev have been ahead of the pack for a very long time now um and you know originally Zverev was ahead and you know the other two have caught up and now you know it's interesting to see you know maybe Zverev can still beat them to the punch um you know it'll be that'll be fascinating
0: Yeah, no doubt about that, and obviously, again, let's get into the top five lists, and the number one player on that list has to be Novak Djokovic. There's no denying that, and that's obviously where we're going to start this top five conversation now again. You are the host of Three, a tennis show, the best in the business in covering all things Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. The beat is down to one player entering this U.S. Open, and we saw it first time since 1997. No Federer, no Serena, uh, no Nadal, now no Venus as well. I bet that number backs up even further, but uh, you look heading into this event, Novak Djokovic, Three Grand Slam titles. I believe he's 38-5 and overall here in the 2021 season. Yes, he lost both semifinals bronze medal match in Tokyo. But those were, I think, his first two hardcourt losses of this 2021 season. You look at the numbers for Novak Djokovic here this year believe he is currently fourth highest hold percentage of his career trailing only the 2014, 2015, and 2011 seasons. You look at his break percentage, 34.4. That is third only to 2011, 2012 seasons. That's actually ahead, uh, or excuse me, tied with his 2015 mark. I already mentioned it. It's he and Medvedev are the two guys, top 10 in both hold and break percentage. The numbers seem to indicate that this Novak Djokovic, at least compared to the rest of the field, is as good as he's ever been. Now, of course, I test, you watch the French Open, he hit that prime, feel like he never needed to hit that level to, in his run to the Wimbledon title, nevertheless, he gets the job done. Now, Zverev straight up beat him at the Olympics, and I rewatched that match before recording this podcast, that's also why I was on the bike to watch through the highlights, and there was a degree of physicality Zverev brought to the table. i never seen someone match Djokovic in a stage like that, his physicality. Zverev did. Zverev maybe beat him backhand-to-backhand backhand rallies on that day. And that is, again, a testament to Alex Zverev, who if you've seen play, uh, you know, at that Western Southern Open, something's clicked with the serve. Something just seems to click with him from an aggression standpoint. The point being, Djokovic didn't lose that match. Zverev straight up beat him. And that's not something you often say about a Novak Djokovic match. All that said, minus 135 against the field, according to odds makers. How confident are you, Gil Gross, about Novak Djokovic entering this grand slam? Well,
1: I'm, look, he's the unequivocal number one. He's had just such an incredible year. I, I kind of agree with your assessment where Australia and and Paris were just technical masterpieces and then Wimbledon was finding a way and another showing of his toughness and his ability to win matches without his best, which he's really better than, than anyone at. And he matches up well with all of his rivals. You could make a case that, that maybe Zverev presents some matchup issues that Medvedev isn't easy for him, but he's favorable against all these guys. The only player who he's really struggled with if you zoom out and you look at like the last three, maybe even three, four years, it's Dominic Thiem. And a healthy Dominic Thiem has given Novak huge problems unlike any other players have been able to. And he is not in New York. And I believe that is significant because Novak has the edge over, has had the 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 decisive edge over everyone else, uh, especially in the matches that has have really mattered. If you look at Australia, he went through Zverev not even at 100 really yet in that match then he really peaked against medvedev in the final and absolutely blew him out Pass has been a really good matchup that figures to be much easier for him on a hard court than it was on a clay court when he was able to come back from down two sets to love so for all these reasons of course Novak is a favorite but you know what i wouldn't take the minus 135 i don't think that that is a a, a good number i believe for for betters in my opinion because I do not recall at any point in time a player with this much pressure. And I don't care who you are. That's not a good thing. You know, we can recall Serena going for the Grand Slam. That was probably the last time I've seen a player have that much pressure on them. That is awful. That is really difficult to deal with. And I think we saw it at Wimbledon. Was Novak tight against Berrettini? Yes, he was. But you know what? He's just that great. That tight against Matteo Berrettini, Novak on a grass court, still going to win that match. Is he going to beat Zverev or Medvedev right now if he doesn't have his best? No, I think he's going to need his best. And I think that's going to be hard because the pressure is enormous.
0: You alluded to it right there. Djokovic needs his best to beat Zverev now. Djokovic is probably going to need his best to beat Medvedev now and I would push back at the thought that Dominic Thiem has been the guy to give Djokovic the most trouble because I know he's 6 and 3 in his career against Alex Virov, but you look at the matches that have happened and they've played four times all on hard courts since uh the pandemic uh since play resumed post pandemic Djokovic yes is 3 and 1 one of them was a three and six win. The other, six, seven, six, two, seven, five, Djokovic. The other, the four set win in Australia. But, you know, Zverev was up a break, and three out of the four sets in that match certainly had chances to win. Of course, the last one was the match Zverev just won at the Olympics. You look. For Daniil Medvedev, Djokovic 5-3 in his career. Medvedev has won three of the last five. They're two and 2-2 two in their last four on hard courts as well, all of those coming in the past two seasons on hard courts. They can match his physicality now, and that is the thing that is, so, that is just different for Novak Djokovic because, of course, when he was 28, 29 years old, no one could match Novak's physicality. 34-year-old Novak, that a 25-year-old Medvedev, a 24-year-old Zverev can match that physicality. That should be expected, by the way. But they can actually do it now. And I just think— you know, case in points, Zverev's made. I, I think you know he's made the fourth round or better at seven of the uh, at the last seven majors. And you look for Medvedev last three hard court majors was twenty twenty one Australian Open final, twenty twenty U.S. Open uh, semifinals, twenty nineteen when he do fourth round at the Australian Open or whatever it was, or twenty twenty, and then twenty nineteen U.S. Open he obviously makes the final. I mean, they're gonna be there at the end of the tournament. And do I think? Th- they, Novak Djokovic is more likely to beat them in the final of a Grand Slam? Absolutely. But I think those guys are more likely to beat Djokovic in a semifinal of a Grand Slam now. like I think once you get to the pressures of the finals, that's when everything starts to catch up. And yes, Novak is chasing history, but those guys are chasing Grand Slam number one. And there is no greater pressure than trying to do that against Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam final in New York when he's trying to pursue history as well. But in that semi-final match when they have nothing to lose, it's dangerous for Novak Djokovic. And while minus 135 is too tempting not to take, because to get Novak Djokovic at minus 135, you can hedge along the way. Hedge in that semifinal. Hedge whenever you want. You're just not going to get him at minus 135 in any individual match over the course of the tournament. But he's definitely vulnerable. That said, I thought the same going into Paris. I didn't think the same going into Wimbledon, but I thought Medvedev, who had broken the numbers heading into that Australian Open final, was serving better than Prime Isner, returning better than Prime Djokovic, and Djokovic killed him. And so, you know, again, you're the foremost expert here. This is where I want to leave the Djokovic topic. Are you worried about the layoff between the Olympics and now? I think a month off for Novak Djokovic that he hasn't played since Tokyo might actually be the best thing for him. You know who could use a month off? Novak freaking Djokovic. And he got it. And so, like, I don't worry about his level coming in. That's what the first week is for. I think Djokovic gets through that first week comfortably. And then that's why you take the minus 135, because if he gets through the first week, how can you go against him?
1: Well, I'll leave the minus 135. Again, I don't think that I would not take that. That's just me. Um... I don't think I'm not concerned about the layoff, but I think it might've helped him to play some matches in a low stress environment. Um, I I just would have liked that for him. I think it might've just relaxed him a little bit because uh, when you just think about all of the tennis he's played this season, every single match has been this enormous stakes uh, from Roland Garros to Wimbledon to the Olympics. And I just think it would have been nice and it's just not how it is if if he was able to just play Cincinnati and chillax a little bit and play some <laughs> tennis. But no, he's going to have to go back and it's the U.S. Open and history's on the line, as you said. No, if the only thing, Djokovic's biggest enemy is going to be the weight of the Grand Slam and and maybe hitting that 21 mark, but mostly yeah. the Grand Slam.
0: No, no line judges. So they're not his biggest enemy. <laughs> yeah,
1: and by the way, Federer and Nadal not being in the tournament, not good for Novak. It, it hurts him.
0: because it's just, They are more likely to take out a Medvedev as one of those guys, I think, as well. But, B, give me your case.
1: Uh, I was thinking more, they are more likely to take away some of the attention. I mean, it is just a, I mean, it is going to be a microscope on Novak. Especially no um,
0: Serena anymore, no yeah. Venus. It is all on, you're absolutely right. This is another great take.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, I, I'll i just say it again. I want to reiterate, the pressure on him is insane. And anyone who plays tennis knows pressure makes you worse. Now, Novak has been inhuman for the most part, inhuman in the last three years when it comes to pressure. And he has risen in every single moment. So he can do that. And then, and then you clap your hands and you say, incredible, you did it again. But there's a chance that this is just, too much. And I think at Wimbledon, we saw some of that pressure have an effect. And he's just that much better than everyone else that it didn't matter.
0: The move is on the middle Saturday, get publicly photographed getting vaccinated, then blame any loss, like my shoulder, it hurt, whatever. But I got (laughs) vaccinated now, people, so get off my back. Um, No, I... Yes, you nailed it. Djokovic's biggest enemy as much as it might be Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas is very much himself because he is chasing himself. He is chasing history here. Not only is it the calendar Grand Slam, it's Grand Slam number 20 uh 21. This would put him definitively in the lead above Roger Federer, above Novak uh, uh, above uh, excuse me, Rafael Nadal. And obviously, given the injury status of those two players, this could be the one he needs to firmly cement himself on top in that race. Of course, he's played a lot of tennis here uh, as well over the past twelve months. So, again, are you picking Novak Djokovic to win the event at this point? Yes or no? Well, this is where we'll leave the Djokovic conversation.
1: I am, um, I am back and forth, and um, I haven't really decided.
0: I'll give you till the end of the podcast. Then you get you get twenty more minutes to decide. Okay. Yeah. The reason I'll give it to you because okay. let's let's then go here. If it's not Novak Djokovic, who's it going to be? We'll break it down in tears again. Yeah. I think it comes down to two guys. I think you're either on the Zverev camp or you're on the Medvedev camp. Which side's Gil Gross? I
1: am on the Medvedev camp. Make uh, the case.
0: Firmly. That's yeah. obviously. I think you're going to know what camp I'm going to be in, but I'll make the medvedev case. For <laughs>
1: um, well, once again, um, I I look at a guy who was in the final in 2019. Dominic team was uh was was the man who stopped him in 2020, and obviously Nadal in 2019. Well, both of those men will not be in his way. Um, so we've seen this play out twice before without uh you know without Novak coming into the equation and it's been it's been Medvedev who has been the player who um has kind of made it through at the end there, not not Zverev um now when it comes to the Toronto level I just felt like he's playing exactly like he did in 2019 probably a little better uh patience consistency just looking and doing everything that you would want to see from him he has dominated every single match uh, every single event post wimbledon titles 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 us open he hasn't been obviously he's only been to the final um elite serving elite returning his matchups against titipas and zverev they just seem to be favorable to me um and they have been favorable and that's it and is it more about if if you want to compare medvedev and zverev i think that's appropriate to do so I'm just more bought into Medvedev's mental game. I understand that things can go off the rails and Medvedev can become very much kind of losing focus and frustrated. And he has a temper, and that's not good. But I'm fully, I fully believe that nothing will shake his confidence. And for Zverev, I'm not sold on it yet. And I understand that in the last 11 matches in which he's won all 11 of them, he has been supremely confident, but I don't want to have recency bias here. I want to zoom out. I want to look at the last two, three years. I want to look at the patterns that we've seen with Zverev. We've seen him play incredible, aggressive, bold, confident tennis. That goes away. It can go away. And maybe it won't go away. And this is different uh, this time, but I'm just not there yet just because he won the Olympics, which is like a Masters 1000. I, I believe it's not very different, and I've, I've already seen him win that. And then obviously he wins Cincinnati, a Masters 1000 tournament. I don't know that the slams are gonna be just, you know, different just because unless you think that the Olympics are some kind of massive turning point in his psyche and in his career, then maybe you think that he's different, but I just haven't bought into that yet. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
0: I have seen him lose that pass match a hundred times. hundred times. Like, that's the match where he's up a set, he's up a break. Something pisses him off. The serve starts to go awry. There's a little physical ailment. He loses from there. And he's down 4-1 double break to Pass. Gilly won the match. And it was the way he won the match, just playing and swinging aggressively. It was the exact same adjustment he made in the Djokovic match.
1: Okay, but here's why. He couldn't move. He didn't want to move. He felt sick. Okay, I but it worked. Was gonna, I, I know because that's how he needs to play. I knew it was going to help him. That that is so. It was so predictable that Zverev, not wanting to move because he just didn't feel well, was going to play better because he was going to actually play with maximum aggression. So until then, he wasn't playing the right way, right? Until he was down and sick, and then he started hitting out.
0: See, I disagree because, A, the first set, he was playing that way. B, you watch the rest of the week or you watch him down a set and a break to Djokovic in the Olympics where he was willing to move his feet and play aggressively from the baseline. His best now is as good as anyone else's best. And Agreed. You and, okay, but you couldn't say that about him before. Like, a, his best from start to finish in a match. You could say his best for 10 minutes, but he had not played as good of a match as a Novak Djokovic has right now, or as a Daniil Medvedev has from start to finish. You can now say, arguably, performance start to finish. Did you watch that Kasparud quarterfinal? He slaughtered Kasparud. And I don't say that lightly. And again, all this is to say, go read Ben's piece, Alia Sharapova's story, part one for Racket Magazine, part (sighs) two— I'm just going to leave this in because this is on him at this point. He said it's fine. Part two was supposed to come out. We're recording this Wednesday. It's supposed to come out today. I, if it's not coming out today, it might be coming out tomorrow. Be on the lookout for that. It is something. There is no denying that. And again, no one has done a better job on this reporting. No one has done a more thorough job than Ben. Be on the lookout for that. All of that needs to be said whenever you're discussing Alex Zverev. You also need to say, objectively, from a tennis standpoint, again, he's a top 15 guy right now, top 15 in both hold and break percentage, puts a million returns in play, his length, his size, his fluidity. But his ability to turn on that backhand cross-court of Lake Gill and use it to open up the backhand down the line, and just his confidence now as a volleyer moving forward, and then the serve, the serve was exploding at the Western Southern Open. Again, I've, I've been on I've beat for a while, I have never seen him play as well as he has these past two events. I agree.
1: But what about Wimbledon? What about if we go... It was a month ago. Now, the reason I bring that up is, again, this is about, for me, this is about... There's a lot of recency bias with Zverev because he has played 11 amazing matches in a row. But you don't need to rewind that far to find completely void of confidence, second serve, out the window, losing to a Felix Ali team who wasn't even playing that well.
0: But we're on hard courts now. It's a completely different ball game. And the comfort level and just the repetitions he's had on hard courts are immensely greater than the numbers he's had on grass courts. We saw him make the final of the U.S. Open last year. We saw him make quarterfinals and push Djokovic in three out of the four sets at a hard court slam this season. On a hard court. The short list is Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev. Like, those are the three best players in the world right now on a hard court. We're not on grass courts anymore. And I think all of these guys are shaking on grass courts. I have no conclusions about these next-geners who is going to be the best player at Wimbledon moving forward. For God's sake, it could be Berrettini. Like, it legitimately could be Matteo <laughs> Berrettini. His game makes the most sense on a grass court. But you can't say that on hard courts. We've seen a big enough sample size of these players now – to say the jump he's made here these past two weeks was actually foreshadowed in the jump he made the last hard court session we had dating from you know August of last season to the start of this year. Like this, year this has been one linear progression for Zverev, and we may have just finally hit the peak point of that. And we now get to see, oh my God, he's done it eleven consecutive matches, not one tournament, eleven consecutive matches. And we'd seen flashes of this the last time we were on hard courts.
1: It's very difficult to predict Zverev week
0: You're to right. week,
1: because it's all in his head, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like if if he can go after the ball with confidence and hit his forehand down the line, which in my opinion, that's what has stood out to me recently, is that he's hitting his forehand and flattening it out down the line. He was hitting
0: can- the ball downward. Sorry, I I'm so sorry to cut you off. The Casper Rud match, because Casper hits the heaviest forehand. outside of Rafa on tour. He was using the topspin that rude was providing him and straight up bunting downward on the ball and driving it through the court with his forehand and stepping up and having his body weight moving forward on that forehand wing. You're right, Gil in a way just, he wasn't before.
1: Right. And it's because he in the past has just kind of played with too much topspin and just gone cross court too much. I mean, it's like, that's, that was his tendency. So uh, you know, he's a different player, in my opinion, when he's flattening out the forehand down the line. And uh, he's a great highball hitter. So Rude, that's a just a matchup nugget on that is Rude's kick is not going to bother him.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. Right in his yeah. strike zone. Right. Um, so quickly, why just to – because I think, again, is it safe to – well, we'll get to the Tsitsipas side of the opponent in a second. Where I want to end here, they both played their best tennis – who do you take, Daniil Medvedev or Alex Zverev? This is why I have Zverev one a because the best I've seen from Alex Zverev, in my opinion, is better than the best I've seen from Daniil Medvedev on a hard court here this year. And that, to me, is why he's the biggest threat. Because if he plays his best match against Novak Djokovic, he's got the weapons now with the serve, with the physicality, his proficiency from the baseline. He can straight up just beat Novak if he plays his best. Medvedev's got the physicality to match. And Medvedev's the surest thing. And again, Medvedev's 1B for me. I do have these two on a tier on their own in terms of biggest challengers to Djokovic. It's Zverev, Medvedev the rest of the field. I just think Zverev's best is a little bit better than Daniil's.
1: I agree. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to hedge my bets here either. I genuinely agree with that. A hundred percent. I think Zverev brings more natural offense off the forehand. I think that's the biggest difference between them because they're both unicorns when it comes to how well they return, put their returns in play, how big they serve. Uh, But to me, I think Zverev has a better transition game finishes points better offensively and um, can match Medvedev backhand to backhand for the most part as well. So uh, yeah, I, I think Zverev is the higher ceiling player, the better a plus level, but mentally I have a pretty, you know, I I think, I think Medvedev has the edge and that has been the difference in so many of these next gen matches in slams, especially is just gut check. I mean, U S open 2020 final. It's just, dude, who is going to, who is going to figure this out mentally and play and play the tennis that they're capable of?
0: See, I think Zverev is more likely to beat Medvedev in a final than he would Djokovic. But but I think Medvedev is more likely to beat Djokovic in a final than Zverev is, if that makes sense. Like That makes sense. You're right, because mentally, I just don't think Medvedev's going to be phased. You know what you're getting from Daniil Medvedev, match in, match out. Djokovic just happened to smoke him in that Australia final. But all right, if those are the top two... Tsitsipas is... Again, that's 1A, 1B. Tsitsipas to me is 3. He's the guy on the wait, next wait wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, wouldn't that be 4? Djokovic, Zverev... No, no, no,
0: Djokovic is... Djokovic, it, it's presumed he's winning. Wait, he doesn't it's even like, count? <laughs> no, he's just presumed as winning. It's like, okay, Djokovic is winning, but if it's not Djokovic, you know, you're right. Okay, okay. It would be Djokovic okay. 1, Zverev, Medvedev, 2A, two 2B. Two Tsitsipas 4th for you? Because I do have him as a tier lower, though, than Zverev and Medvedev, but... I mean, it's not like his semifinal run in Cincinnati was bad. Like, I thought he played good tennis. And I actually think physically, you know, Gil, we don't talk enough about the developments Stefano Tsitsipas has made physically. Just as an athlete, his improved fluidity, like, he, he can grind. He's good behind the baseline. And his weight behind is always going in the right direction on his forehand.
1: He is an insanely powerful athlete. Yeah. Like I don't people better start talking about that because he's <laughs> he's a he's a figure. I, you got to see him in the flesh, right?
0: Uh <laughs> what a phrase. Um I did uh I did not. He was not in oh, DC. No? Not in uh, DC. Yeah, but I uh, thought when we oh Cincinnati. Duh. Yes, I did see him in the flesh. I sorry, you gotta understand, Gail. I like I think <laughs> I saw my parents at one point. In I the flesh? think yeah, I gotta call my mom today. It's her birthday. I'm calling her right after this is done. Anyways, happy birthday, mom. I love you very much. Um, you know, what's funny is she will make it to this part of the podcast, be like, oh, like Alex. Yeah, <laughs> um, but no, oh, you're right. I did get to see him in the flesh. But I've seen Tsitsipas in the flesh before, and I think it, it the real thing to me is on TV. Now you can see it as well. Like there's just. It's the outer thirds, like his backhand in the outer third. It's not really a problem anymore. He has the strength to hit through that ball on the run, and then he always has the foot speed to get his way behind his forehand. And like again, he played well against Zverev until the home stretch.
1: Yeah, his forehand defense is insane. I mean, you it's can
0: insane.
1: You can attack to that side, like it's it's pretty incredible. Um, now. Oh yeah I think he's played good tennis the last two weeks actually I I understand you know that that he didn't put it together Opelk is a terrible matchup but that kind of gets to the crux of the issue with Tsitsipas my my outlook for him on the US Open is very simple there's not one man in the world who can beat Stefano Tsitsipas who doesn't serve huge except for Novak. Novak is the only guy who can beat him without serving huge because when Who's it comes also to baseline, top
0: 10 and hold percentage, though, so it's a different type of serving huge. But I completely agree with your point. Sorry. Yeah, it's just though. being good at tennis <laughs> behind the serve. I <laughs> that's, mean, a
1: good way of, that's a great way of
0: putting it.
1: <laughs> it's just serving and then being good at tennis. That's yeah, that's just, why Novak holds. Um, yeah, the he'll. return the return is still you know such an issue that if he gets the wrong draw if he draws the wrong player like let's be let's be honest about this riley opelka match in in toronto he looked helpless like there it looked like there was nothing really he could do like opelka is going to serve 135 to the backhand and come in behind it like Pash just doesn't have the return necessary to really deal with that and it's a problem so there are certain guys he can run into, and this is, by the way, a problem against guys who can hang with him from the baseline a little bit better, Medvedev and Zverev, where where people are going to take advantage of his returning issues. I mean, that is going to continue to happen. That is what is holding him back from Zverev and Medvedev.
0: Couldn't agree more. I will say it's notable. First time this week, first time all season, he's entered the top 25 club. And that speaks to the improvements. It is a career high for him in break percentage. He's finally over the 20% mark. He has gotten significantly better, most pronounced on clay court surfaces. But no, you're, you're right. Particularly on a hard court, a fast hard court, it's problem for Stefano Pass. And there are a lot of guys with big serves who can do that to him. Big forehands just put that sort of pressure on him. Now, again, he does have a flair for the big moment. And you think if you get to the semi—of all the three guys, who's maybe the most—well, you probably go Medvedev one, but you probably say Tsitsipas two from a mental standpoint entering that Grand Slam final. Despite being up two sets to love, he still believes he is destined to beat Novak Djokovic in that U.S. Open final. And you have to give him some credit there. And his best is the most easy to replicate because it is—perhaps he's the most one-dimensional of the group— but when that dimension's clicking, it's pretty damn good. It's on his terms. There's no doubt, Pass, If he can get to the semifinals, he can absolutely win this thing.
1: Yeah, I would. I would say so. Again, I don't really. I just don't favor him against the guys who are above him. Obviously, and that's agree. how this. 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 That's how this tends to work. But um, <laughs> not here. Not here. <laughs> Look, matchups are important though, and I, I have
0: think... Pass fourth, even though I think he's second most likely to win. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. No matchups Let's see. matter. Oh, oh You're mental, right. mental. Matter, yeah. Look, you know what? I gotta say, he's looked a little bit. He's looked a little bit off to me recently, mentally. I thought he made big strides in terms of just how calm he was on the court and how kind of he he just was carrying himself with a lot more professionalism. With which I just think helped him in the big moments. Uh, I, I really thought he turned a corner, but ever since the the blown lead at Roland Garros which first of all is a uh, it's kind of a worrying trend for me not losing the Roland Garros final um that's not worrisome but he's he just continues to blow leads and I think that's worrisome um a little bit from a mental standpoint but he's just looking very much on edge and uh I don't know it's just a recent thing it's a last like month or so thing uh but it's just something to keep in mind I it might be nothing but I think if you've watched him, even since Hamburg, where he was, I mean, it was not a good mental performance against Philip Krajinovic. I can just tell you that. He's just seemingly on edge. I don't know how else to put it. And I, he wasn't like this all year.
0: You don't know this but the cell phone he brought into that bathroom, they're actually taping a new Verizon commercial and it's, can you hear me now? He's like, I can even hear you in the stall bathroom. And it's like, oh, OK, good, good, good. By the way, fix your backhand because you're leaving it too short. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, – that's fair. He's definitely been on edge. At the same time, that edge – is what can occasionally bring out the best of Stefano Pass, allow him to have that belief down two sets to one and a break in the fourth set and still manage to come back and earn that victory. But again, pretty clear top four right now. You know, if you're going to call it the small four, it's probably Djokovic, Zverev, Medvedev, Pass. I'm still sticking with key three here. Push, you know, I'm a big pusher of the uh, cases. I'm an advocate for my cases here, Gil. But this is where things get interesting. If it's not those four, who else? Who are the other players that could threaten to win this 2021 U.S. Open title? Now, of course, Berrettini, Rublev going to be on the short list. Worth noting, no Nadal, no team in this field. Who does Gil go- Gross think is the fifth most likely player to win this event? Is he ready to pull the center card right. now? Is he going to go Brooks beyond us? John Isner again? What are you thinking, Gil?
1: Jeez, I mean, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um the ghost at Federer
1: I, I want to be interesting and exciting here, um, but I can't be. My number five is Andre Rublev. And when it comes to the majors, physically, I, I have questions. I don't know that the that he's ready to maintain the intensity that he plays with best of five for two weeks. And I think that might be why we've seen a bit of a drop-off in his results if you compare what he's done in the best of three tournaments compared to the the slams and i think that could potentially continue but andre rublev on a hard court when he's comfortable taking the ball on the rise when his serve is being rewarded and he's getting good plus one balls to hit unlike when when he plays on clay and he doesn't when the ball bounces up a bit for him and he doesn't need to hit that backhand so low all of these little details about Rublev on hardcore they make him way tougher to beat on the surface and he's got to feel good about graduating from Medvedev University I understand he got destroyed by Zverev in the very next match I think Zverev, for the same reasons that Medvedev is a matchup problem for him, Zverev is as well. His pace just doesn't bother those two. But in general, I think he he feels good about himself, and I can't justify putting anyone else above him. But I'll be very curious to know if you have anyone above Andrei Rublev, because I'm not all that high on Andre Rublev, despite him being number five.
0: Yeah, I mean, a healthy Berrettini I would have above uh, Andrei Rublev. I think beyond that, though,
1: I don't
0: I think mean, that's happening. Um, I The idea of Kasparud upsetting someone making a, a semifinal is not shocking to me. If he goes to a final, that would shock me. I mean, we already did the Dark Horse podcast. I, if Cam Norrie made a quarterfinal, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. If an Opelka or an Isner goes on the run, the Sin Man, of course— in the mix there, Felix, uh, who wouldn't feel like a dark horse, but I just think he's playing really good tennis right now, and I still think his top speed can beat a lot of players right now uh, when he plays his best tennis. I mean, I, the, the truth of the man, matter is, I think it's going to be one of those four guys. It's going to be one of Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, or Tsitsipas. I would imagine you agree with that take. Of the rest of them... Uh, Man, look,
1: I have I have 3 names. Renal Boosta. Are...
0: I know you love yourself some yes. PCB.
1: Yes, I think PCB that's who I have after Rublev in my power rankings.
0: Of course. Number I'm Hooby. So the guy I I left out intentionally is Hooby because I think Hooby's upside That's my number 8. When he plays his best it's just like hey I, I did the math in the big match you know we've won Miami semifinals of Wimbledon five set losses in French Open and Australian Open but it's like at the big events he plays really really well he's like I think it's eleven and ten versus top 50 players but like six and two versus top 20 players and it's like oh okay you just you're a big match performer if he can get to that second week look out rest of the field great
1: there's one name that I have. At number seven in my power rankings. That, yeah,
0: that I'm going to go Sinner for my number five. I just – he's the only one with the gumption where it's just like oh, – like a storyline I could believe. Like if you—if it's f***ing – I don't know. Diego Schwartzman in the final. Not to be against Diego. I'd just be like, no way. Like that's just not happening. But if you, you tell me if it's, like, the Sinner emergence, that Sinner had his big breakthrough, I'd be down for that. So uh,
1: I'd be I'd be yeah. down. I, again, I think there's well, a I physicality just think his issue. Best,
0: yeah, you're right. That's that's why it's not going to happen. Um, I don't know, man. I, do you have Nishikori in there? Is that who I'm missing from your list? He, no,
1: he's my next four out. So he would be at, like, number 10, uh, 11 through 14.
0: Okay. Hatchnov just because he's so physical and he can just – he plays good tennis – it's not Shapovalov. It's not any of the Americans. I mean, was I that was Florida. that a guess?
1: No, it, no it's no, Hachinov.
0: No, no, no. it, oh, it is Hachinov for you. It's Hachinov. It's yeah. a good pick. It's a good pick. Make the case.
1: It's it's mostly. First of all, I've noticed his consistency at the Slams, and uh, I've just been a huge fan of what he did at at Wimbledon. Obviously, how could you not be? Uh, you know, so close to making that semifinal, and then follows it up at, in in Tokyo, and then I think what is the U.S. Open? Well, it's hot. Uh, it's a lot about durability and physicality. and if it's going to be long rallies, oppressive weather. I like Karen Hatchiall. like yeah. I, I like him to to first of all, um, I like the improvements he's made. His forehand is more reliable and he is serving bigger. That is very, very important. But like to me, the us open is the the slam of attrition. Like you better be tough you got to be willing to, to suffer a little bit out there in all likelihood. And you got to be strong to to withstand it. The hard courts are going to beat you up. You're going to have to play long rallies unless they've really sped the courts up. And it's going to be hot. And are you going to be able to handle that and hatching off
0: camp? Here's my last thought for you. Here's the current race to the year on finals. I'm removing Nadal from the equation because he's out for the year. Djokovic has already clinched a spot. He's number one. Tsitsipas, two. Medvedev, three. Zverev, four. It goes Rublev 5, Berrettini 6, Kasparud 7, Hubi Hercots 8. That's your generational shift, folks. All of those players born 1996 or later. Now my question to you before we leave, who gets those last two spots? Obviously a big run in New York quarterfinals, semifinals, that could secure you, obviously, a nice fall, whether it's a run in Paris. There's still some point chasing to be had. But, you know, right now, Berrettini in six is about uh, a 1,000 points ahead of Kasparud in seventh. Let's say those top six are locked, who gets spots seven and eight. Can you
1: tell me nine and 10?
0: So right now, uh, currently in seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, are Kasparud, Kubi Hercats, Yannick Sinner, Aslan Karatsev. Within 1,000 points are Karen Busta, Nori, Shapovalov, and FAA.
1: Ooh, it's very fun. I feel like the U.S. Open is going gonna, is gonna to be important there.
0: Huge. It's hu- huge. This is the last— bi- Especially because we don't really know what's happening with Asia right now. This is the last big carrot on the stick.
1: Huh. That's tough.
0: Casper's um, have- decision to chase points during the Olympics— brilliant in terms of his chase of the year on finals.
1: Yeah. Um, Give me Sinner. I think he'll have a big fall. Uh, You know, I don't know about the U.S. Open, but I do think he'll have a big fall. Uh, I just think the the trajectory, he keeps getting better every single week, and I just think that kind of player who's hungry, when some of the other players start to check out, uh, I think that kind of player will have a lot of success. So Sinner has a big fall, and he gets in. Um, And then it's probably going to be someone who who plays great at, at the U S open. And I will go with another guy who just always seems to, to be omnipresent and, and competes very hard. I'll go with PCB.
0: It's a good choice. I'm going to go Sin Man and Root. And that is a super fun field, man. That is, that's your next gen finals at the ATP finals. That's the good stuff. The next generation, honestly, what they were hoping for the first year they ran Milan, but no, it's all good picks. Again, as you mentioned, this U.S. Open going to be critical to that race. Just something to think on the back of your mind. But, of course, again, if you want to hear more from Gil Gross, plenty of different avenues, right? I know you've got multiple podcasts rocking and rolling. You're obviously on Tennis Channel this week. What can our listeners expect from you as we head towards New York?
1: Well, um, I'm still kind of figuring things out, but you did mention the, the U.S. Open radio stuff. I think I'm just going to basically do a daily – Kind of journal a little bit of just whatever I see, whatever I experience every day. I'm gonna somehow try to deliver that experience uh, to everyone. So
0: nice. that
1: those are in the plans.
0: Of course, Monday match analysis three 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 a tennis show as well. You can find all of it at Gil Gross as well on Twitter. My eyebrow nemesis. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Enjoy hearing you on tennis channel. Any any what what are tomorrow's matches? You done the research yet? Do they have the field.
1: I don't know that the order of play is out. I have not seen, um, but um, tennis in the land is full throttle.
0: It's rocking.
1: Uh, it's rocking. It's rocking. Although the uh, they have had some issues with the uh, the the rain when it when it rains that that roof it drips. Uh, <laughs> but that you know can't complain because if there was no roof then they still wouldn't be playing. So, so.
0: it really doesn't make a difference. Have you seen the movie The Departed? No. What is wrong with you? You're, you are you have no excuse.
1: Grusky, let me tell you something about myself. Okay. You can talk to me about sports. You can talk to me about food. You can talk to me about music. I got gotcha. you. As soon as you get to shows and movies, you lost me. I don't know. I'm, I'm an idiot.
0: Okay, that's my music. That's fair. I mean, but music you just know by proxy because you're like, oh, yeah, like red shirt, short skirts. What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm like oh, Shania Twain, of course. Like everyone <laughs> knows, everyone knows the Queen. Um, but like the Depar- a Martin Scorsese film, anyways. Well, I was gonna say, oh, it's working overtime, but you don't even know what I'm quoting, so what's the point there? You're not even gonna get the reference. Um, but yeah, you you've got things to do, I suppose. You're a little bit busy. You figure with the flights now between you know going to and from L.A. all the time, you catch up on a movie, or is it all just Q's? You know. Lacrosse practice sessions—you got to go. <laughs> <time. laughs> uh,
1: you know, I—I'm not a watcher on planes. Like I—I I <laughs> listen sleeper? to podcast. I either read or I listen to a podcast.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. That's yeah, that's fair. Um, no, again, all good choices.
1: Yes, thank you. Anyway, great to be on again. Um, very much appreciate it. I hope. To, uh, to talk to you soon.
0: Yeah, we'll get you on at least once during the U.S. Open. But, of course, always a That's pleasure good. to have you. Send my love to Jenna, and we will chat soon. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Gil Gross. A huge thank you to him as always for taking the time to chat. You can hear him this week on Tennis Channel, hear him throughout the US Open on US Open Radio, find his work on YouTube, Monday Match Analysis, 3A Tennis Show. We always appreciate getting the chance to chat with him here on this podcast, of course. Our preview of the 2021 US Open continues tomorrow. We are going to have Chris Otto on the show to talk about the state of American men's tennis. We're also going to have David Gertler to talk about the state of American women's tennis doubling up on the GSPs on Friday so be on the lookout for both of those of course draw previews qualifying recaps and the works all coming up throughout the week so be on the lookout for all of that in a preview guide on our website crackrackets.com of course we're covering Winston-Salem Cleveland-Chicago day in day out on the mini break you can hop on over there for more coverage as well as our cracked interviews feed I have a press credential this week in Winston-Salem got the chance to chat with Emil Roussevori, who's had success this week. We're also going to chat with other players throughout the week in our From the Presser segments. Also, talk to players like Ernest Golbus, Chris Eubanks, all competing in US Open qualifying while we were in Pennsylvania. So, you can find all of that content. On the Cracked Interviews podcast, feed all of that content on the website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this pod, the mini break pod, Cracked Interviews pod, and all of our shows. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegler and Daniel Westoff for the <laughs> Of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends over at Turner Tennis. Remember, contact them by emailing sales at uniquesports.com or calling 800 554 3707. With all that said, for our wonderful guests, Gil Gross, Producer Flieger and Westoff, our friends at Turner, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.